say amen to this? Success has a price. Amen? Success has a price. Sometimes that price is good. Sometimes that price is hard. Because invariably when you succeed, and you succeed with the Lord, and you succeed in ministering in the kingdom, you are causing harm to other kingdoms that are opposed to the Lord in His kingdom. Right? And because of it, People get jealous. People get upset about your success. And they begin to oppose you. Jesus told us in John 16, 33, he says, in this world, he told his disciples, you will have trouble. I'm just telling you straight up. So don't expect to not have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And we're like going, okay. But people loved you mostly, Jesus, didn't they? Well, not really, because he, he told his disciples as they were going to go out and minister on his behalf, he told them this in Matthew 10, 24 through 25. He said this, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. No, it's enough for the student to be like their teacher and servants like their masters. If the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, you know, that's another name for the devil, Jesus was called that. Could you imagine? The Son of God called the devil? My gosh, how, how wrong they got it, but because they were upset, jealous, and afraid. How much more, he says, will the members of his household be called that? Wow. This kind of mistreatment, this kind of persecution, this kind of trouble was experienced by the apostles by the disciples and then the apostles in our passage today. We found them meet already some trouble because kingdoms are changing. Paradigms are changing. The religious establishment has to change. The spirit of religiosity, the spirit of humanistic control has to be modified and changed and let go. And it's struggling. And there's a clash. And things are banging. I want you to read with me um, and begin to read with me in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. And we're just going to read just little portions of this passage as we talk through this passage. But we're going to begin to see how the disciples, how the apostles triumphed and, and how they even had more success as threats and as tricks increased in their ministry. The threat is going to increase, but we're going to find out how God used it to shape them, to bless them, and to bless others. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn it to Acts chapter 5 as we continue through, and as you see the church go forward, know that God is in control. Starting in verse 17, this is what God's Word says. Then the high priest, he is the top authority, religious authority at the time, and all his associates, they were family members mostly, and confidants, but these are powerful people that are in, in leadership and in control. They were members of the party of the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy at what the apostles were doing and the early church was doing. They arrested the apostles and they put them in a public jail. Well, they've already went after the apostles already earlier, right? 
But what we begin to see right off the bat is in Acts chapter 4, they arrested Peter and John. Do you remember? They seized him. They jailed him overnight. And now, in this, this, these couple verses that we've been reading in chapter 5, they tell us this time, we're not just getting Peter and John, we're getting all the apostles. So they rounded them all up. And they just didn't put them under custody like they did last time. They put them in the public jail. Well, you know what the public jail's like, right? Well, maybe you don't. Lord bless you if you don't. That's where all the hooligans and the nap herders and the scallywags and everything else are, right? These folks aren't good people. And you go in right away, and, and you've got to know you're in, a, a, you're in the jungle. You're in a different place. And you've got predators looking for prey. And if you look like prey, you're going to be prey in the jail. Right? You're, you are. So you've got to be tough. And my brother kind of schooled me on being ready to do that, even though by God's grace I never had to do that. And I had other people school me, depending upon what type of places you were incarcerated in. And you had to be ready. And I, I learned growing up that, yeah, I've got to be ready, because I don't want to be eaten. If anything's going to happen, I'm going to eat somebody else, but I don't want to be eaten. Uh, in jail, and so that's where they put them. They put them this time into public jail. There was a greater increase in the threat as their ministry went into greater heights. Do you remember we just left the passage where even Peter's shadow was crossing over people and they were being healed? And people were put in the streets and were being healed. And everyone who came to be delivered because they had a demon, were being delivered. And people's lives were changing, and they were coming from other cities and other towns. Everybody was going into their ministry. And their ministry just wasn't hidden somewhere. They were actually conducting their ministry in the porticals and porches of the temple itself, right in front of all the religious leaders. Wow. But that environment became more and more threatening for them. Our passage tells us they were jealous. These people were jealous. These leaders were jealous. They had, to, they had to stop these folks. They had to stop them because their power for the religious leaders, their power was in the followership of the people. And if the people weren't following them, their power was going to be deeply hampered and could even go away. And then what would happen? What would they be? Without the power of the people, what would be their identity? Without the power of the people, what would their lives be? They'd have to change. I mean, who needs a high priest if the high, true high priest has already come? Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I'm not going to tell. But see, I, I used to challenge different folks and religious leaders on that when I first came to Christ. Because I said, why do you, why can't these people who follow Jesus pray to him? And why do they have to ask you and you have to pray on their behalf? And they go, well, you know, they put me in my place is what they did as a young follower of Christ because they didn't want to hear that because their, their theology would have to change. Their life would have to change. See, when a person's power base, what's given them meaning and purpose and identity, when your power base is threatened by something that other people are saying, or teaching, and then if you become jealous of their success and their power and their teaching and their blessing, um, it's gonna, sparks are going to fly, aren't they? You're not going to take that lion down 
And these religious leaders didn't either because they were being called, the mirror was coming up, they were being called to change and to repent and to humble themselves and to be vulnerable and honest and real. And they weren't ready for that. Right? And people that aren't ready for that today will react the same way. They'll get hostile if they see us too successful. They'll go after us if, we're too, if, if we have too many blessings. Because they've got to bring us down to size. Because they're unwilling to learn from it and to repent. And to go a different way. So greater increase of threat is what they, they experience. Are you ready for greater increase of threat because you obey Jesus? Are we ready for it as a church because we're going to love them and we're going to welcome people in and we're going to grow? It often comes hand in hand because the devil and the world and the flesh don't like the fact that the Spirit is, is winning. So be ready for it. Let's continue, though, in our passage. And let's start reading from verses 18 through 29 and see what happened next for these folks, these, these apostles. It says this, They arrested the apostles, they put them in jail, public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail, and he brought them all out. Oh, that's kind of a nice little trump card, huh? Go and stand, the angel said, in the temple courts, where you were arrested. Go back there, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Wow. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. They were right on it, and right on it at first light. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin and the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. So apparently, they weren't hanging out around their temple. They didn't know what was going on. And they didn't have security cameras at the time or anything else. They didn't have a ring. So they didn't know what was happening, that the apostles weren't there. And so... They sent for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there, and so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Wow, there's a mystery there. And they're a little bit alarmed. Could this be a conspiracy? How'd they get out? What's going on? We're not as in control as we thought we were. There's something happening. we got to check this out. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to, because it could lead to people losing their life or their jobs. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you threw and put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. They're not hiding. They're right where you arrested them. They're teaching the people. And at that, the temple... The, the captain went with his officers, and they brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared the people would stone them because the people held these apostles in high esteem. The apostles were brought in. They were made to appear before the Sanhedrin, and they were questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
Wow, what a great passage. What happened next? Let me tell you something. When God releases you, when God blesses you because you're trusting him and you're obeying him, he always releases you for more service. And that's what he did for these apostles. When you have an angel opening prison doors and letting you out, you know, incarceration is not that big of a deal for you, is it? It's not. Because you have a get-out-of-jail-free angel. And this angel is doing that. And yet the angel, he let the apostles out for a purpose. He just didn't let them out and say, oh, this will be fun, watch this, let's just let you out, and let's get a kick out of this, and let's stand back and laugh when they find out you're not in there. No, 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 he let them out for a purpose. He didn't let them out so they could run and hide. He didn't let them out so they could be more careful next time. He let them out to the same place and say, go stand in the temple courts, tell the people about Jesus, tell them about the power in his name, tell them how to find forgiveness from their sins. And all about this new life of following him in obedience. Tell them about this. And the apostles, what they do, they obeyed. They obeyed the command of the angel. They hadn't been delivered to hide. They'd been delivered to teach and speak. They didn't be delivered to try to be more careful. No, they've been delivered to preach boldly the truth. And so at daybreak, they're at the temple. They're already there. These were obedient followers of Christ. They didn't waste any time. They didn't do like what you and I do sometimes, push back at the Lord. Oh, you got the wrong guy. Oh, God, do you really want me to do this? Oh, Lord, I'm going to have to hear this through a few more witnesses before I actually do it. Oh, God, give me some more time. I'm not ready to do it now. No, they acted. They acted, and they went. I just want you to think a little bit in your mind's eye. Can you imagine the chagrin of the, of the authorities who smugly go to the, the public jail to harshly retrieve these apostles, and they're going to bring them in for intense questioning in the Sanhedrin, only to find that that jail is locked, the guards are in place, and they're, they're, they're guarding nobody. Nobody's there. They're like, think about that. You'd be so puzzled, wouldn't you? What just happened? Okay, who's involved in this? There's some kind of conspiracy. What's going on here? You would have all those kinds of questions. And then, to have this unnamed person arrive, tell you that they're in the temple, they're preaching the gospel, and actually they're hitting point two of the message they started the day before. They're getting to the second point, And you've had nothing to do to stop them. You'd feel like you're in a kangaroo court, wouldn't you? You feel like you're in an episode of the Twilight Zone. What just happened here? And they felt that way, and they were unnerved. What has changed since the night before? See, this was all for a purpose and a reason. God allowed these things to happen. Why would God allow these things to happen? Why would he allow his apostles to be arrested? And then why would he send an angel to open the door and get them out? Why would he put them back? in the place where they were arrested. Why? Why would he do that? To preach the gospel and then allow these folks to find out that they're there. Why? See, think about this a bit. All of this is supposed to alert the authorities that God's power is on the side of these apostles that they're opposing. God is on their side. 
God is with them. You need to think about this differently. Whose side are you really on? God's side or your side? See, people who are believing are being saved from sin. They are, and it's happening right there as they preach. They're being saved from the penalty of sin. They're receiving new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. These folks are being delivered by demons. What does that mean? Additionally, some of them are being physically healed and and while those who refuse to believe, which are mostly in the, in the temple court, right, and the, and the authorities and the Sanhedrin, those people refuse to believe the message isn't getting through and they're not listening. But, but somehow, miraculously, they, get, they keep getting to hear the message. They keep getting to have opportunities to receive it. But at the same time of getting opportunities to receive it, their guilt is also growing. Do you see that too? Their guilt is becoming greater because they're getting more and more opportunities to believe, but they are rejecting them each time. See, this is the ministry and message of the apostles. This is why they were released to fulfill. This is what they were released to fulfill They were to give this to both the people and the leaders alike. The good news of this new life, this kingdom, to call people to repentance, to call people to forgiveness, to call people back into relationship with God. That was their life mission. That's what they're about to do. And they were to be on task to do that. Where are you supposed to be? What job are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to live? What, where are you supposed to go to school? Or where are your kids supposed to go to school? Where are you supposed to go to church? Where, what, what are you supposed to be doing with your life on a day-in and day-out basis? God's got a plan. God knows. He's called you to mission. And He's releasing you for service. Do you see here? God is not releasing you. uh, He didn't didn't keep the apostles just to keep them safe. He didn't release them to be safe. He released them to be in service. Do you see that? And sometimes we make decisions for a lot of different reasons. But these apostles did not. They are on task with the Lord. Safety was not their highest value. Income was not their highest value. Having their dreams met were not their highest value. It was the call of God and being obedient to it. That was their highest value. I think that we have to see that as we look at this passage. We've got to see that, they, that God put them right back in the place they were before, knowing that they were going to get arrested again. So I'm here, to, I'm here to shake up a little bit. When, when we want to play it safe, the, is, is God calling you? You think sometimes, well, you know, if God calls me, okay, but God's not asking me to do something that's going to put me in danger. Or God's not going to ask me to do something that's not going to make me successful in the world's eyes. Or, oh, yeah, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Right here, you see it. He put his apostles right back. 
in the place they, they took them from, knowing that they would be arrested again. See, because there's a new life now. What is that new life? The new life is God is Lord. Amen. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Not, not money, not, not popularity, not people, not my mom, not my dad. Jesus is Lord. Not my boss, not my culture. Jesus is Lord. It's a new life, and it's a great life. You're no longer Lord, because you don't know what's really good for you. You, you. You're too finite. I'm too finite to know that. But God is infinite, and he knows. And he knows what he's called you to do and how he wants to use you, both for you and your betterment, but also for others. Will we let him do that for us? Will we be on task with him? All right, I better move on. Now consider Peter and the apostles' reply. I want you to consider and understand their circumstances and the purpose of their life when they were challenged by the Sanhedrin. And so I want you to read with me, starting in verse 29 again, and let's... See what God's word has to say here. Peter and the other apostles replied this when they were saying, you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Why are you doing this when we command you differently? And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Let's just say amen together to that. Amen. Amen. Let's obey Jesus. Let's obey his word. The day of obeying ourselves and wanting our way is over. Let's not live there anymore. Let's live in a new life. Let's not live in that old life. Let's obey him. And it goes on. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand, as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. God has a plan to save all disobedient people. He did it. He sent his son. His son came. He preached the truth. And then he paid the ultimate sacrifice to make it possible for you and I to find forgiveness. Will you accept and receive it? This is your opportunity if you have not. You must accept and receive it, or you will stand condemned by it. You will pay the price for it, but the price has already been paid. Why let it go? And then it goes on. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. See how important we said before that humility was last week in the answer of prayer? It's so important in receiving the Spirit and staying in the power of the Spirit is being obedient and humble. I can remember asking, God, why is it so dark? And why isn't the way open? And what's going on? He says, because of what you've refused to do what I've asked you to do. What? When did I refuse? And then you would see. The light would come on. I'd see the picture of when I said no and disobeyed. This has happened more than once to me. I, don't, I, I hope you, you have these things too. <laughs> and I went, oh, I'm sorry. Well, that's clouded, and I had to repent and had to say, I'm sorry I said no to you. I'm sorry I didn't obey you in this. I repent of it, and I ask you to forgive me. And you know what happens? You're forgiven. Because the blood's already been shed. 
You just have to appropriate it. You have to stand in the blessing of it. It's there already. It's done. But you've got you to gotta stand in it and appropriate it. And the moment you do, is okay, good. Glad you cleared that up, Kelly. And here we go. Now obey me that you might walk in my spirit in fullness. See, that's the good thing. That's what we want. See, we are under God's orders as his people, and we're under allegiance to him alone. That's our, our next point in there. So when, when we have challenges and persecutions and rough times come our way, where do I focus and how do I respond? I focus on the infinite one. I, somebody said that today even, right? Not the, not the finite one. I, I, I focus on the infinite creator and his truth, and that guides my response. Not the finite culture, not the perspective of my peers to lead the way. I don't focus on those things. I obey the cornerstone. That's why I obey. And you remember I talked about cornerstone uh, in last week we took communion. And it's so important because Scripture says that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And you know that, that a cornerstone is the chief stone in a stone foundation that's laid. It's the first stone laid. And its elevation and its orientation, it sets the tone for every other stone that's put down. Right? And it's your guide. It guides you. It directs you. Every other stone's purpose and place and definition is in reference to that cornerstone. That's how we know if our life is straight and life is true. That's how we know if other stones in our life are on track. That's how we know if we're deviating from the original intention of what God wants to do in our lives. And Jesus is that cornerstone. So he provides the definition of what's right and wrong. I had to change some of my definitions of what's right and wrong because of Jesus, the cornerstone. So do you. I had to. Of what's true and false. And I had to change that too. Of what I saw as true and false. You do too. And so Jesus defines our reality. He's the lens through which we filter everything else. He's the cornerstone of our worldview. He's the reference point. He's the interpretation of what's good and right. It's Jesus. Is Jesus that? Is his word that for you? It's to be that for you. That's why we're to be in his word daily. The apostles understood this and they proclaimed, we are under God's orders. Our allegiance is to him above all, period. Period. There's no question. So this confidence in this, in this commitment that they had was, was, re was readily seen. And they had a confidence and commitment before every other Lord and God or Master or even people who would try to control them in their furious temper against them. And this Sanhedrin was furious because of it. They were challenged. And they should have felt challenged. They were spitting mad. They were ready to go after them passionately. They were angry. Because they, see, they understood that, you know, if we ever come to a time when they begin to kill Christians again, it's going to be because we're a threat to them. To their authority. To their view of the world. What we tend to say even now as Christians is construed as hate speech. Even now, right? You're all aware of that, aren't you? 
what you say because you stand up for people and God's intention for them, you're a hater. See, the Bible says that in the end times, people will call what's good bad and what's bad good. And everyone will do what's right in their own eyes. Everyone will have their own version of the truth. And the one who is true will be tossed aside. Well, we're living in it. But we're to be lights in the midst of it, amen? And we're called to be lights in the midst of it. But I'm here to tell you something. We have to be sure and firm about who our allegiance is to and whose orders we're under. Are you under his, his orders today? Well, next, as we go to Scripture, and we're coming to our really our final big piece of Scripture, starting in verse 33, let's read and see what happened next. When they heard this, it said, and that's the Sanhedrin, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamil, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. It sounds like this guy's an honorable guy, but you're going to find out he's not as honorable as he appears. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Sometimes, some time ago, and he gives them a bit of a history lesson, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody. About 400 men rallied to him, but he was killed. And what happened? All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and he led a, he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, Sanhedrin, guys, gentlemen, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Leave them alone. That's the answer. You know, I'm a, I'll, I'll, I, can't, I gotta keep going. Let them go, he said even. For if their purpose or activity is from, of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So just let them go. Leave them alone. Let them go. Sounds so good. Sounds so wise. It almost sounds like he's on their side. But that's how political people sound sometimes. Like they're on your side. And they are not on your side. I guarantee it. He counsels them to preserve their position and power by playing the long game. Do you see? Come on. To give the apostles and their opponents enough room to burn themselves out. Give them enough rope to eventually hang themselves. Right? Give them enough compromise and enough placating to eventually dilute the purity of their message and character and destroy their power. And definitely don't think about it. Don't consider it any further. Just move on. Let them go. Don't think about their message or take it seriously. See, he, he's, he's not good. Gamil told the power brokers of the Sanhedrin, you don't have to admit you're wrong. You don't have to admit what you believed and built your life upon is wrong. Do you see that? You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to admit you didn't recognize God's Messiah when He came. You don't have to admit that either. You don't have to own responsibility for resisting Him, 
for humiliating him, for undermining him and soiling his reputation. You don't have to accept responsibility for abusing him, torturing him, and putting him to death in the worst possible way. You don't have to own any of that. See how it starts getting more and more wicked and dark and oily and stinky? His counsel to them? You don't have to admit that you lied about what happened to his body in the tomb in a grand attempt to cover up his resurrection from the dead. You don't have to come clean. You don't need to repent right now. You don't have to live a new life in obedience to a different Lord instead of living for yourself and under the popularity and power of the crowd. You maintain that status quo right now and ride this out and do nothing. Wow. Do we get that counsel a lot of times, don't we? Wow. Can you see how slimy, pragmatic, and humanistic and godless his counsel is, really? It was a strategy straight from the evil one himself. It's, a, it, it's yet another great opportunity for them to come to enlightenment, to change, to grow, to repent. And what does he do? Put it off. Put it off. He counseled them not to show their true colors. Not even to themselves. Put it off. And don't show yourself those true colors. You know what? I once was counseled to do that. It launched me into my worst and most wicked three years of my life. Because I, I, I took that counsel. It was not from God. It was not right. I would not recommend it. But that's what Gamil did. So he was a liar. And we have too many of those kinds of people these days. So he's telling them, don't engage honestly and openly, but maintain the status quo. Otherwise, if you do, you're going to be exposed. You're going to show that you were wrong. You're going to show that you're guilty of Jesus' blood. You're going to show that you're condemned. The foundation of your power, your esteem, your authority in the world and among the nations will be gone. It will be gone because it was built on a house of cards. You're going to need to humble yourself. You don't want to do that and repent. You're going to need to be forgiven. You're going to have to submit to a different authority in your life. You're going to have to obey somebody else other than yourself or your, your paper God. And you know what? You're going to be weird. And you're not going to be normal. Have you ever had the evil one tell you that if you accept Jesus and follow him as Lord? Yeah, me too. That's really kind of one of the major last things that kept me. Because I was a high school student, so popularity did really kind of matter in some ways. Oh, you're going to be weird. You're going to be strange. You're going to have to catch your hair a certain way. I used to think that if I was going to serve the Lord, I had to cut my hair a certain way and wear dark navy blue suits that, with white shirts that were boring and, and ties that were boring, and that I would have to do that if I was going to serve Jesus. Thank God he, I could serve him being me. Amen? And you can too. It's funny what you think when you don't grow up in the church and the evil one is messing with you. The devil, the flesh, the world, they throw one or more of these notions into our face all the time, and they do it each time we have an opportunity to be saved. They do it each time. You always have some excuse and reason to kick the can down the road. Don't do it. You don't know that today, right now, is your last opportunity. You think I'm being, this is hyperbole? 
It happens. People go from this place, and then we won't see them a week later. And they're gone. And when you go, you want to know where you are with Jesus. Amen? But the flesh tells us you don't really have to think or pray through that right now. You don't have to make a decision right now. You don't need that forgiveness of sin or be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can just put it off, do it a little, take a little more time, kick it down the road, make a decision later. There'll be a better time. Is that message from God telling you to do that? No. And what, what, that message is not from God. That message is not from him, and it's not what he's doing. You know, they said, let time judge them so you don't have to. Let time judge them so you don't have to. No. It's a terrible precedent to set in your life. And then you put off indefinitely what you should have dealt with today. And things never get better over time if they're broken and they're hurting and they're diseased. They're going to get worse over time and you're going to get more calloused and you're going to get more dead to it and you're not, you know, I don't feel any sense of urgency about it. And what happened, if you notice in our passage here, what happened to these, to our, uh, in verse 40, what happened to these men because they put off the decision, and I'm going to read verse 40 for you, it says, his speech persuaded them, and so they called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Their sin was compounded. They sinned against God's people, and their sin was compounded, and they were galvanized more and stained in their deception. Don't put off the opportunity you have today to make a decision for Jesus and his lordship in your life. Don't put off seeking his forgiveness today and be saved. If this is your opportunity, take it. Don't follow these men's example because these men did not take it. They did not take it. They did not take it. So, my question to you. Are you or have you played this kind of power game? This kind of pragmatic procrastination game that ends up cloaking the truth and maintaining the status quo and, and hampers revival in your life and the life of other people. Are you doing that? Are you playing this kind of game? Or are you coming honestly and openly to the Lord? Where are you today? And, and how can we call other people to that too? When we share the good news with other people, we need to let them know this is your opportunity. You decide to take it or not. But no, I can't guarantee you're going to have other opportunities. So don't kick the can down the road. Don't keep waiting. Don't do it anymore. Hebrews 3, 7 through 9 tells us this. God's word exhorts us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, and he's talking, looking back to the people of Israel in the wilderness, where he said, My, your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I had done. For 40 years. And it still was not enough. 
They didn't take the opportunity, and so many of them died in the wilderness, separated from me, and they could have been saved. Today, if you hear God, do not harden your heart. So I want you to stand with me in prayer. I want you to take it seriously, because this is serious. You know, sometimes we take some of these things lightly. Um, when Jesus returns and when he comes and when I stand before him, I'll have to give an account and you will too. Today you have an opportunity. Jesus has offered it to you and to me. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior and you know that, if your life is not committed to him and you know that, and you know that if you were to die tonight and stand before him, that you would have, you would have nothing you could really say, that you would stand exposed and say, I'm sorry, I never did really accept you. I lived for myself. But you want that to change today? And you're willing to come and allow us to pray for you? I want to invite you to come. And we'll pray for you together to be forgiven, to accept the new life God has for you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to begin to live a life of obedience to Jesus. If that's you, come forward right now. We're not going to have music up here. We're not going to give an emotional appeal. We're going to simply give an opportunity. If you need to do that, do that right now. But know this, like I had to know when I sat in, and I stood in that church, you've let this opportunity go. Don't let it go. If you need to do it later today sometime with somebody else in a smaller group, do it. You don't have to do it at church except Jesus, but you need to do it with somebody and declare Jesus as Lord. And you need to have the encouragement of people, and then you need to tell as many people that, as you can that you've done it. And then you have to begin to ask them to pray for you and to nurture you and help you as you begin to live that new life. But you can do that this morning in your your history can change. Is there anyone who needs to do that this morning? Okay. Is there anyone in your life that needs to do this? Anybody you love and care about that needs to do this? I want to encourage you to pray the prayer that the apostles prayed in uh, Acts chapter 4. Because here's the end of the passage, it says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin... And they were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace because of the name. That's awesome. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know why they did that? Because they accepted God's call on their life and they had prayed for that call to be made real in them in chapter 4 of Acts said, God, help us to speak boldly as we ought to speak, and then reach forth your mighty hand to perform signs and wonders and healings in the name of Jesus, that your kingdom might go forward. They prayed for that, and because of that prayer, they experienced it, and they lived it out. I want to ask you to pray that prayer and keep praying that prayer for us as a church body, that we, we may live it out, that others may come to know Jesus through us. And that others may experience his kingdom through us. Amen? Let's close in prayer together. Lord Jesus, we look to you this morning and we thank you for your word. Your word is always a light 
lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we need your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak your word loudly to us today to let us know what in this passage do we need to see and get and apply to our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, because we have come to obey you. Lord, you are there for us. And you come through. Lord, help us to take the opportunities that we have to triumph over the threat and the tricks that come our way. And help us, God, to continue to keep succeeding in the mission you've called us to. Lord, to become your disciple and then to make disciples. So, Lord God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would empower us to speak boldly as we ought to speak about this new life and about you, Jesus, and about what you want to do for other people. And then, Father, we pray that you would reach forth your hand in a mighty, powerful way to bring signs and miracles and wonders in the mighty name of Jesus to affirm and confirm your kingdom and that you live and that you're there. So, Father, do that through us as a church and bless us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. Let's go get them, amen.